0: Uh, Eugene spoke last week about prayer and action, and I just felt to uh, continue talking about prayer over the next few weeks. And um, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, prayer is, is um, its like an instinctive part of human nature. Uh, for millennia, you know, from ancient people, primitive people to us modern-day, 21st-century, knowledgeable, enlightened people, people pray. People who live out in the rural countryside, people who live in city environments, you know, urban professionals, you know, from doubting atheists to devout creationists, they're all praying. Everybody prays, everybody always has. And very often, those prayers stem from some sort of uh, loss or, or place of despair. Very often, that's where uh, the prayers start to come from, from somebody whispering, help to God to another one dejectedly whispering, you're no help at all, right? It's a search for help outside of the self. And so very often when people pray, it's like the prayers are like, how am I going to get through this? You know, Why is this happening to me? What could possibly change these circumstances? And so for many, these sorts of questions are brought on by external events that produce an internal response, which is prayer. Before we woke up this morning, There were a whole lot of people on this planet praying somewhere, right? There were Catholics busy reciting the poetic prayers of the saints. There there, there were Muslims who rolled out their rugs and bowed their foreheads to the ground and began to chant the Quran. There were Jews who wrote out their pleas to Yahweh on little pieces of paper and rolled them up really tight and stuck them into the wailing wall in Jerusalem. Uh, There were Buddhists who meditatively emptied themselves, you know, um, searching for an enlightened state. Tibetan monks, they were spinning that wheel with all of those prayers that are compressed on, 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 on those wheels that they spin, those prayer wheels. And, you know, I'm sure somewhere on the planet a convinced atheist is lying in a hospital muttering desperate words to a God he doesn't even believe is there to listen. A Jewish rabbi once said this, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. I love those words. (laughs) Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Folk, we pray. We can't help it. And yet, most people, even most Bible-believing Christians, find little life in prayer for a lot of folk prayer is seen as boring it's seen as obligatory it's some for some people it's confusing and so what i'm going to do over these next couple of sundays is i want to i want to talk a bit about this and my focus is not going to be on the answers to prayer because i think we can all agree that when we hear stories of dramatic answers to prayer you know stories that have begun with a de- desperate need and then ended with some kind of miraculous intervention for You know, those stories are encouraging, right? That's, that's faith-building. That's like, woohoo! That's you go. God, we, we love those kinds of stories. But I'm not too interested in, in the beginning or even in the, the end of the story when it, comes to, when it comes to prayer. What I'm interested in is the middle. Because the middle is where the mystery lies. The middle is where all our questions about prayer are. And, and we have questions. A lot of people say, well, you know, is prayer really necessary? Or you know, if God is all powerful uh, and He can He can do all things, He's omnipotent and He can uh, you know He can accomplish what He wants when when He wants. Why why does He actually why does He need me to ask? You know, or questions like why does God sometimes seem to answer prayers, but it seems like He takes forever to get the uh, to get it done? Why does God take so long? Anybody ever ask that kind of question? You know, or why, does God, why doesn't God answer my prayers for my family and, and my friends who are far from God? I mean, he, He's a God who wants to redeem the world. He wants a relationship with people. You know, He wants to answer prayers. So, so why isn't it happening? These are the kinds of questions that people ask about prayer. You know, or, you know, I know we have a spiritual enemy, but if Jesus was victorious over Satan, you know, then is there any real opposition left to interfere with my prayers? What's actually happening when I pray? Is anything happening that was not going to happen if I didn't pray? Or is anything not happening that was meant to happen if I prayed? Do my prayers actually matter? Do they matter to God? Do they matter in in this world, in this real life that I live? Well, the Bible has plenty of places to go to. There are plenty of passages on prayer that we could go to. um, So there's no shortage of... of, um, Places to start grappling with this sacred mystery of prayer. But I don't think it gets any more concise than, or straightforward than what Paul writes here when he writes to the church at Philippi, at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives some instructions here to the church. And in this passage, he says, The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. He says, Don't worry about anything. So, some versions say, Be anxious. God says, Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to This book, I find this book frustrating sometimes. I find scripture frustrating because it seldomly reads like a set of IKEA instructions. And I I often think to myself, it would be so much easier, God, if you just kind of laid it out step by step. If you just did that, then I'd know exactly what I need to do. I'd know exactly where to go. I'd I'd know precisely what the deal is. But for some reason, God is determined to speak in stories, and and, uh, he uses analogies and and riddles. But this passage of Scripture here in Philippians is proof to us this morning that it's not that simple. Because here, it's not laid out. I mean, it is laid out step by step. It's laid out step by step. But generally speaking, when we read a passage of Scripture like this, we don't follow the steps. Because it says, don't be anxious about anything pray about everything. Most Christians spend far more time worrying over anxious thoughts rather than surrendering them in prayer. So if it's right there, if it's so plain and so clear, it's like like a set of IKEA instructions, why don't we take God up on, on the deal over here? Why don't we exchange that, that, that worry and that anxiety for peace. Why don't we do that exchange? I think the short answer over here is because we don't really believe it. We don't really believe it. We read that and we think to ourselves nah, it's come on. It's not that simple. And I think it's because we've become more familiar with anxiety than with peace. We're better acquainted with a subconscious drive to control the circumstances that are overwhelming us. We're better acquainted with that than accepting this unburdened freedom that is promised in prayer. I mean, God promises you peace. He promises you a supernatural kind of peace. A, he says, this is a peace that you, that you can't logically reason out. I promise this to you. He says, I'll give this to you in place of this crippling anxiety but the means of exchange is prayer. Most people though, you know, regardless of their spiritual maturity or the stage of life that they're in or their psychological awareness, most people do not experience this anxiety for peace exchange which is promised through prayer. So why not? Well, I think the obvious obstacle to prayer is that we're busy. We're busy. We're busy trying to be successful, we're busy trying to be desirable, trying to be sporting, socially conscious, whatever it might be, and all of those things take time. So the competition for our undivided attention is huge. And of course, every one of us carry around the internet in our pocket, don't we? So we're busy, and we're distracted. But we can still find time to eat and sleep and exercise maybe. We can, we, we can still, in, you know, in our very busy, distracted world, we can still make time for what really matters to us. So it seems to me that when it comes to this area of prayer, it seems to me that there's something deeper going on. There's something beneath the surface that hinders us. There's something that stops us from really engaging in prayer. And I, and I think it's this. I think... I think for most of us, um, pray, I think it's that prayer doesn't really resolve that anxiety. Even though the scripture teaches us not to be anxious and to pray, we don't. Because prayer itself comes with plenty of reasons to be anxious, doesn't it? Just, let's, just, let's just think about this. I think this is worth thinking about for a moment. Because I've been in ministry for many, many, many years now. And what I often do when I have a gathering is I, I say, there might be a bunch of people around a table, and I say to them, who's gonna open in prayer tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Or I say, who's gonna close in prayer tonight? And eventually, after a wait, somebody feels like, okay, it's me. Do do do, do. I feel my heart beating, right? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You're sitting in a small group and, and, and other people are praying and, and you, you never pray. So this is worth thinking about because I think prayer itself comes with a bunch of reasons for people to raise that anxiety level. Prayer itself makes us anxious because what it does is it uncovers those fears that we can, we can ignore as, as long as we don't engage deeply, as long as we don't come thoughtfully and vulnerably before God. We can go, well, I'm not going to pray. So I want to just name a couple of the fears here this morning. Here's the first one. We don't pray for fear of being naive. We're living in a day and an age where we've pretty much mastered everything. Man, we know everything and we've even got AI on its way. So man, we've, we know. And so the secular humanistic empirical approach to everything in our culture has rubbed off on us. So we struggle to get to grips with this unseen realm that we've been told about as believers and, and, and the thing is we don't wanna look stupid. And to pray is to be willing to put yourself in an unguarded, exposed position. To pray is to risk being naive. <laughs> it's to risk believing. It's to risk being a fool. To pray is to risk being let down. It's to pray. To pray is to is to uh, is to get your hopes up. And 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 many of us have learned to avoid that. So so we avoid prayer, right? So we don't pray for fear of being naive. He has another another fear. We don't pray for fear of silence. Prayer means that we have to take the risk to be silent. Prayer comes with that risk. That silence might be part of it. And the problem is that for many of us, we're addicted to the noise, aren't we? You know, it's it's really interesting for me to see how long people can just sit in silence. I was waiting. People struggle with this. They struggle with silence. There's got to be some noise. You've got to have a TV on. There's got to be some music playing. There's got to be the hum of conversation somewhere. you know. And the thing about prayer is that it comes with the possibility of silence. um, Dallas Willard wrote this in, in, in a beautiful book that he wrote called The Spirit of the Disciplines. He wrote that silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does. Throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. And in that quiet, what if there turns out to be very little to just us and God? So we don't pray for fear of silence. Here's another one. We don't pray for fear of selfish motives. Now I know a lot of Christians who struggle with this one. This one, there, there are times where people pray out prayers and then they start doubting what they've prayed. You know, they, their prayers sputter out because they begin to overthink or second guess the, the words that they're speaking to God as they come out of their mouths. So suddenly people will start thinking, you know, do, I'm asking God for this, but really, is that really what I want? Is it, What's behind my, what's my motivation here? What's behind this request? Have I really taken the time to speak? you know, to really come before God and spend time with God around this, Or am I treating God like a magic genie? You know, am I just kind of texting God like what my prayer need is? And so people struggle with this. You know, is this desire really pure enough to bring before God? So when we pray, we become increasingly aware of our motives, and sometimes we can become paralyzed by that self-evaluation. So there's a fear, you know. What are my motives? Are my motives Selfish. And that can hinder people's prayer. The fourth one here is that we don't pray for fear of doing it wrong. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Thanks for your honesty. I think, and I think and it's not just some of us. I think for many of us, we don't pray because we listen to somebody else's prayers. And we hear them praying and we think to ourselves, man, I'm going to mess up so hugely if I say anything now. I'm just not saying a word. I'm not going to pray. Can this just be over already, right? You know what I'm saying. You know, People will have this kind of narrative going through their minds. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not confident. I'm not comfortable with this. I hear other people pray out loud and it just it makes me feel insecure. And so many Christians spend years limiting their experience of prayer Because of some professional Christian talking to God with words that they don't even use in normal conversation. And so a lot of people live with the misconception that I must be doing it wrong. (laughs) I don't know, this prayer thing. You know, maybe one day, one day I'll master the lingo, you know, I'll learn how to pray. So those are just a few fears. Okay, so if that is all true, then why would anyone want to pray? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let's look at why you should pray. The first thing, or first reason why you should pray, is because you're overwhelmed. Pray because you're overwhelmed. Something I've found to be really, really quite sad, but also very true, is that there are increasing numbers of people these days who are becoming cynical and even disillusioned about the way of Jesus. And so many people are living their lives struggling to truly trust God, and they, they find safety in not really committing to Him. They find safety in not really surrendering to God. And so they live with this kind of pretense of, of any need of God. So it's like, I'll say to people, yes, God, God, yeah, yeah, they, they hold that... The view, whether consciously or unconsciously, the view deep down on the inside is, man, really, the only person I can trust is myself. I can trust myself. I can guide myself. I'm enough for myself. Jesus once said, he said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. And what he means by that is that whatever is in a person's heart, whatever's in a person's mind, it is going to become evident in their lives. It'll become evident in their behavior, evident in their speech. Right, So whatever's in here is going to become evident to others. Now, something that a lot of people struggle with these days, and I'm sure even in this room this morning, are the things that have become all-consuming in your life. And you name it, probably work issues, targets you've got to meet, profit margins, sales targets most people struggle, the demands that they have from their work environment and from their employer are are all-consuming. For others, it might be things like the family. The family has just become, you know, raising children is all-consuming. Whatever it might be has become all-consuming. Now, when we don't go to God in prayer over those things... That stuff has overwhelmed us, and deep down over here we're saying, you know what, I don't think God's really going to come through, so I'm just going to try and get this through. I'll be able to do it myself. I'll handle it. And let me tell you that the fruit of self-sufficiency is to be overwhelmed. Constantly overwhelmed lives should drive us to prayer. Drive us to prayer. Prayer in its purest form, prayer in its rawest form. Not to pray safe prayers, not to come and pray calculated prayers that are going to insulate us from any kind of disappointment with God, not to pray vague prayers, not to pray infrequently, no, to pray courageous prayers. To pray storming the gates of hell kind of prayers. Those are the kinds of prayers we should pray. God is not powerless. He's not powerless. He's not only able to get you through a day. He's able to change your situation. He's able to change your circumstances. But if you don't really trust him and you deep down here, you're thinking, well, I know there's a God and I know, but really, actually, I'm the one who has got to deal with it. Out of that self-sufficiency, believe me, that overwhelmed feeling is just going to take over. So pray because you're overwhelmed. Here's the second reason why you should pray pray because trust comes before faith faith is the assurance of what we hope for right faith is like I've got faith that that's that's going to come through but trust trust is confidence in the character of God trust is confidence in the character of God before we can have faith that God's going to answer a prayer we have to learn to trust the character of the God that we're talking to Can I say that again? Before you can have faith that God's going to open a door or come through for you, you've got to learn to trust the character of the God that you're talking to. Because trust is going to allow you to say, you know what, I don't understand what's going on right now. I don't understand what God is doing right now, but I trust that God is good. I trust that God is faithful. So if I pray and the cancer doesn't disappear, or if I pray and I don't get the job, or whatever I pray and it seems that the only answer is silence, without trust, all I'm going to do is is I'm going to try and suppress my disappointment with God's silence. So instead, what I'll probably do is pray carefully worded prayers so that I can guard against any disappointment with God. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a wall to protect myself from the very God that I pray to. Listen, with trust, we can come to the God whose character doesn't seem to match his silence. And we can say honestly, God, where are you? God, what are you doing here? God, what are you thinking around this? You know, Jesus has not revealed a God to us that we can perfectly understand. But Jesus has revealed a God to us that we can perfectly trust. And trust is the certainty that God hears and that God cares. I trust the God that even though he doesn't make the suffering go away, is right beside me, is walking alongside me, is carrying that suffering beside me. Trusting the God that is revealed in Jesus means that silence is real, but it's not forever. So pray because trust comes before faith. And then my third point here is pray because complaints are actually welcome. They're welcome. You know, God is not nearly as worried about, about our mixed up motives as, as we are. He, he's not. And I can prove it to you from the Bible because there's some prayers in this scripture that are actually part of what we call the inspired word of God. Some people call it this the inerrant word of God without any error, right? So I can prove that there's some prayers in here that are, that are just... that. Uh, You'd say to yourself, well, how can this be in this book? Let's just look, and you know this guy. His name was David. David wrote this in Psalm 140 verse 10 about his enemies. He writes his prayers, let hot coals fall on them. Let them be thrown into the fire, into the abyss, never to rise again. In Psalm 69 verse 3, he, he prays this. He says, I am worn out, man. I'm weary from my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes are failing me as I try and see what God is doing over here. In Psalm 142, David again says, I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Here's David. He's praying prayers of anger. He's praying prayers of depression. He's praying prayers of complaint. And, and you know, when we often think of David David, we don't think of these kinds of prayers that he prayed. We often like to think of the nice prayers, don't we? David is... I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. We love those kinds of prayers of David. Or here in Psalm 145, uh, David says, I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. But when you look at these other prayers of David, you find that this guy was not so balanced. He wasn't always so serene, you know? I mean, he prayed for burning coals to fall on the heads of his enemies. He, he, he gets worn out as he comes before God. He's worn out calling for help from God. He complains to God. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest here this morning. Some of the words of those prayers in the Psalms that David wrote are against the teachings of Jesus. They are against the character of God. I mean, whatever happened to loving your enemies? I mean, whatever happened to a God who is rich in love and loyal in faithfulness? Some of the Psalms are actually, technically, they're heretical. Yeah. So you'd say to yourself, well, how how come they're in the book? Why are they in the Bible? Because they're honest. They're honest and they provide us with examples. God is looking for relationship. God is not looking for well-prepared speeches, you know, and you've got to have perfect motives before you ever speak to him. God listened to not only David's praise and his joy, but he listened to David's rage and his despair, and he still called David a man after his own heart. And so if God can delight in in prayers as dysfunctional as the ones that David prayed, as these prayers that we find wedged in the middle of the Bible somewhere. If God delighted in those prayers, then he can handle your prayers too. You don't actually have to clean them up before you take them to him. He'll He'll be able to handle it. You see, if the Bible tells us anything about how to pray, it says that God prefers us to come as genuine, authentic people. And so sometimes our prayers are raw. And so complaints are welcome. And fourthly, pray because the only way to get it wrong is by trying to get it right. And what I mean by that is like too many people are trying to get it, wrong, get it right and they get it wrong. Because they're praying like they think they should pray when they're not praying like they, sh- they should pray. Does that even make any sense? I don't know. <laughs> When Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, Jesus included this, this line. And Glenn actually referred to it a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. In the middle of this prayer, Jesus says, pray this way, give us today our daily bread. Give me today, Lord, give me today my daily bread. It's a very simple little request to bring my needs to, to God. And What that line is telling me is that I need to talk to God about what my needs are. I need to talk to God about what's on my mind. That's what this line is about. You talk to God like a friend. So when you come before God, you can vent, you can ask, you can laugh, you can listen, you can unload, you just talk to God. You don't have to sound more holy or or more pure or spiritual than you you are. Prayer isn't some kind of holy monologue, yes, I've come to pray now. No, it's a free-flowing conversation. That's what prayer is. And the only way to get prayer wrong is to try and get it right. If you're praying, you're already getting it right. Okay. Let's quickly go back as we, as we finish up this morning to those verses in Philippians chapter four. There's a few other things I want to point out over here. In, in, in this passage, Paul writes and he says, the Lord is near, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, to our modern ears, very often we read words like this and we think it's been written by somebody a long time ago. And that person was nowhere near at the anxiety level that I am. They don't even know what it means to be anxious, right? So often we read this and we say, it sounds like a religious way of saying to someone, it's all going to be okay. Don't be anxious. It's all going to be okay. And we read it and we say, it can't really be that simple. I mean, if it was that simple, why doesn't it work? And you know, often when people reference this passage, they start with the the next verse, verse 6. They start there. They don't start at the end of verse 5. So they always reference this bit about not worrying. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Just pray. God's going to give you peace. Don't be anxious. That's where they start. But the passage doesn't start there. It starts at the end of verse 5 with these words, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Listen to what I'm going to tell you now. Just just, just focus on these words for a moment. The fear that robs our prayers of power is the lie that God is not near. The fear that robs our prayers of power is the lie that the Lord is not near. The lie that God has forgotten me. The lie that I'm not in good hands. That my future isn't secure. It's the worry that at the end of the day, this God whether he's near or far, can't be trusted. That he's something less than who he promises to be. And that really when it comes down to it, I'm actually on my own. Folk, I want to remind you this morning, the Lord is near and there is power in prayer. That's why this passage about worry and anxiety starts with the simple assurance, the Lord is near. You see, if you want to be richer in your prayer life, if you want a more powerful prayer life, What's going to have to happen is you're going to have to get to a place of discovering the love that the Father has for you. You actually have to come to a place of discovering the love that God has for you. And, and it, is, it is just that. It's a discovery. It, actually, it can't be taught. It's a discovery. You've got, to dis- you've got to discover that. You've got to discover the fact that God is near. You've got to discover that he loves you with a, with a, a love that is immeasurable and when you discover that let me tell you something everything flows from that discovery C- can you imagine being in a really good restaurant you know mcdonalds and you're sitting you know you're sitting there watching the people around you and uh, you're in this amazing restaurant and the waiters are coming and they and, and, and the people are waiting for their food and there's beautiful entrees coming and these main course dishes and you can see when you look at oh it looks so great and desserts, people are you know getting to the tables and stuff. Can you imagine sitting in a restaurant like that and you're watching these people take their first bite and oh my gosh, you can just see it all over their face. The absolute wonder and pleasure of all this food. Mwah! You know, you're sitting there and you're watching them. You're seeing this pleasure. Can you just tell me, does that satisfy your hunger? Can that cause you to experience the gastronomical fare of this amazing restaurant? (laughs) No, it can't. It can't. You've got to pick up a knife and fork and taste for yourself for you to really know about this food. So discovery requires personal experience. And it's the same with prayer. It's the same with prayer. When it comes to prayer, You can come to church and you can listen to other people pray. You can listen to people pray in your small group. You can read books about prayer. You can get biblical insight on prayer. But all it's ever going to be is knowledge. That's all it's ever going to be is knowledge. To experience prayer is to live in daily relationship with the Father. It's to live in communion with God through prayer. Talking to Him. Talking to Him like He's right there beside you where right in the middle of your stuff, you begin to process with God the extraordinary that's going on in your life. You begin to process with God the devastating that's going on in your life. You process with God the mundane going on in your life. You process it with the Father who is near, who's eager to listen to you speak to Him. Discovery requires personal experience and prayer is learned through discovery. Jesus was asking uh, well he, asked, he was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. That's what the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And, and you know what Jesus' answer was? He started to pray. Teach us to pray. He started to pray. By praying, we learn to pray. By praying, we learn to pray. If you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. Mother Teresa said this. She said, if we really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. If we really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. Prayer is more practice than theory. So I want to encourage you this morning, pray as only you can. Don't try to pray as you can't. If you can't pray for an hour, that's okay. If you, if you, that will feel like an eternity to you. So pray for a minute. Pray for five minutes. Pray for ten minutes, right? Pray as only you can. Don't try to pray as you can't. If you zone out every time you start praying at home, then just begin to pray in some other setting. Pray on the train. You know. Pr- pray when you're exercising. Pray when you're walking the dog. Or come and join us at our monthly prayer meeting and start practicing. You can pray out loud. You can pray your prayers by writing them down. God isn't bothered if you can't pray with hope and faith. He's not. He wants you to tell him about your doubt. He wants you to tell him about your your disappointment. So if you can't pray with praise and adoration, don't fake it. Just pray your complaints. Pray your anger. Pray your confusion to God. But do it. Pray as you can, and somewhere along the way, you will make the most important discovery of your life. The love that the Father has for you. That, is, that discovery is God's part. Your prayer is just to show up, honestly, coming before God to pray, to speak to him, just to show up and to keep showing up. That's the one non-negotiable when it comes to prayer. And that invitation is for everybody. If you are here this morning and you've never uttered a word of prayer, you should know that, that, that a humble request from a thief on a cross next to Jesus caused him to discover The Father's love. If prayer for you has been up and down and maybe it's a source of a deep wound or some kind of disappointment in your life. Remember that when trust is broken in a relationship and you're saying, God, I don't trust you anymore because I've been praying and you've not come through. That trust, that relationship is not going to get healed by silence. It's not going to get healed by distance. Healing requires the courage of re-engaging. You've got to re-engage with God. And I'm not going to pretend that that's easy, but that's the place of healing, beginning to re-engage with God. And if you're here this morning and if you've prayed, you know, if you've been a prayer warrior, you've prayed for years in your life, you've had an active, mature life of prayer, and you're beginning to wonder what's left to discover, let me remind you that you're going to spend an eternity in the presence of God and you will still never, ever reach the end of Him. You will never ever lose a sense of wonder at his goodness. You will never grow bored in his presence. You'll never have God all figured out. There's there's discovery. It's infinite in this divine relationship. So I want to encourage you this morning. Pray as only you can. That is an invitation for every single person here today. And if you're going to deepen your walk with God this year, you're going to have to step out of that place of saying, You know, I'm comfortable over here, and you're going to have to take a risk and say, God, I'm going to come before you. I'm going to begin to speak with you. I'm going to begin to engage with you. Amen.